something that was pretty powerful before is that how it's growing. And I think it's just become where people are sick of the BS in the world. And the one thing about rodeo is it's not tolerated here. Yeah. It's just not like that. That stuff doesn't, isn't tolerated. And it's, it's still a sport that's about God and country. Yeah. And we won't apologize for it. We're not going to conform to what someone wants us to be. Right. That's just not who we are. So if you like that, buy a ticket and come to a rodeo because you're going to love it. If you don't, don't buy a ticket. Well, thanks for coming out here, guys. Um, I appreciate it. We got uh, Wade Sankey here from Sankey Pro Rodeo, right? That's what you you guys kind of the official name. Yeah, the official business name is Sankey Pro Rodeo and Phenom Genetics, and yeah, I'm the Sankey part, and he's the Phenom. We got Matt Sharping here with Phenom Genetics, right? And uh, you guys kind of. So how did that? How did that? Let's before we kind of get into bucking horses and bulls and stuff. how, How did how did you two end up coming together? Me or you? Go ahead. So, uh, you know, what we've done in the rodeo business for a long time has been basically a turnkey rodeo operation where somebody wants to have a rodeo and they call us and all they have to do is sell sponsors and sell tickets and we do everything else, provide all the contract labor, all the livestock, everything. So the evolution of rodeo has changed a lot recently and it kind of got to where it made way more sense for us just to focus on the stuff we know we're good at, like the buck and horses, and have somebody else do the bull deal. And we were partners with a guy in the, in the that was a bull guy, mm-hmm. and and that deal was going south, and we knew it. So we had to find bulls pretty quick. And there's a lot of bulls in rodeo. Like you can basically dial the wrong phone number and get bulls. Yeah. And I didn't want everybody calling me, so I went to college with Shane Proctor, uh, 2011 world champ bull rider. And I called him, and I said, I need some advice here. Who do I call? I don't want this getting out. And he said, Phenom Genetics, Matt Sharping. Really? And I never even heard of him before. I don't watch PBR. <laughs> so um, I made one phone call to him and um, just told him this is the deal. This is what we want to do. Are you interested? And he said yes. And it was a day later. He was committed. And um, maybe six months after that, maybe not quite, we went to Logadale, Nevada to our first rodeo, and then after that, it's been really good. Um, Matt bought into the company, and we're we're rolling. It's working really well. You guys pretty much got married on the first date. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Matt was easy. There's no backing <laughs> yeah. out now. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> what were you, so what were you doing before uh, you got teamed up with Wade? Do you guys want a bottle of water? Uh, yeah, sure. sure. A bottle of water? Here. Um yeah. I'm doing the coffee. Awesome. Perfect. So what I was doing, basically I was doing uh, PBRs. So uh, Jared Allen and I had partnered on the Jared Allen Pro Bowl team. And then in 20... Jared Allen of the uh, Vikings, right? Yeah. Yep. A football player. Yep. And that whole relationship started just to raise money for his charity for Jared Allen's Homes for Wounded Warriors. But then it evolved into Jared wanting us to go and start a stock contracting business. I was actually selling tools okay. and, and the bulls were my hobby. And so then it evolved into just doing the bull deal. Um, and then uh, Jared wanted to get out. And so we just, and I had phenom genetics before that, before the pro bull team. So then it was just roll on with the phenom genetics. And 
so that's what I was doing is I was hauling to PBRs and, and doing that deal, raising calves and, you know, we have our own breeding program. So I was busy with all that. I had actually, a funny story is I had actually uh, done a piece for CBS for the PBR where they got me back. I used to race. And so they got me back into a car and I went and raced for this deal for the PBR. Um, and then my wife had never seen me do it. My kids had never seen me do it. And afterwards they're like, well, what do you think? I said, well, I think I'm going to buy a sprint car. <laughs> yeah. So I did, I had went and bought a sprint car in 2019. My plan was to go back racing in the summer because the PBR had kind of the summer off. So I was going back racing and then Wade calls and I'm like, man, now I have a decision to make because I did just make a commitment to myself more than anything, not to anyone else, but to go back racing, but I can't do that and do pro rodeo. Like right. summer months were gone. And so I told my wife, said, I'm going to do the rodeo deal. I, cause I can always go buy a sprint car. Right. And so that's what we did is I sold everything <laughs> that I just bought. And, and then to pro rodeo, it was, a, it was a bigger commitment. It was more animals, you know, different truck stuff. Like there was a lot of other commitments that had to be made in order to do it and do it right. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. We could have done it halfway, but that's not Not really the way way to do it. Well, and we'll get into some of the logistics of all, you can open that thing. Don't worry about the sound. We're all good here. Uh, What, so how did you get into, you know, I want to kind of cover your story a little bit here first. How did you get into the genetics part at all? I mean, if you're selling, I mean, I don't generally envision a guy that's selling wrenches as a genetics expert and a breeding expert and stuff like, how does that, how do those two worlds they don't come together. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely don't. So in 2005, I was the number one tool dealer in the country. And then in 2006, they sent me to build a district of tool dealers. So I was a district manager for a tool company in uh, Western Michigan and Northern Indiana. So I had moved away from home. So I get to Michigan um, and I committed to being there for two years. And then they eventually wanted me to go to Ohio to, to the main office. But what I learned quite quickly was I don't like the corporate deal. Yeah. Like that's not, I don't want to work in an office. That's not my thing. What I really realized was, man, I miss the animal interaction for myself. My kids were little. Lacey was probably six. Colton was five. Um, and I wanted my kids to be around animals. And so I thought, well, I'll buy a horse and board a horse out here. I'm living in a development out in Michigan. I envisioned you just your wife coming home one day and you had a bull standing in the backyard in a yeah. development. <laughs> like, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting <laughs> fairly close. Uh, so I go and look for a horse for my daughter online. I run across a bucking bull website. I'm like, man, where do they come from? Like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I love that I wanted to have cattle when I got to move home. And so I knew I was going to get to go home. And so I was like, I started, I fell in love with that side of it and like where they come from, the genetics part of it and how they're bred and why do they do what they do and all this stuff. So then I found an online auction and I threw a bid in on a heifer on an online auction and ended up winning it while I'm living in a development in Michigan. Okay, here we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up boarding that heifer where she was, where I got her, where, where she was at. And I boarded a few and, and then through this whole process, I don't think it was the main cause of the divorce, but I ended up getting divorced. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) And so my whole thing was, I just want to go home. Yeah. I, the only two things I cared about were my kids 
and going home. Yeah. And so basically I lost everything, everything I had and moved home back to Minnesota. Um, and I kept my cattle cause she didn't want anything to do with that. Uh, kept my cattle and started building everything at home, but I moved back home with my mom cause I was broke. Yeah. I didn't have nothing. And yeah. I went back selling tools, started having some calves and the, one of the first calves was high test. Well, the first year I had calves, one of them was high test. I had two bull calves, one's high test. High test, a four-time PBR finals bull, two-time NFR bull, CBR bucking bull of the year. Like, I was just very, you know, very fortunate. Good Lord was looking out for me on that deal. Yeah. And so he started making money, and I was like, man, I really think I, I was probably blessed more than I deserved when I was young and didn't appreciate it. And I don't ever want to be that again. So when you bred that heifer, did you get a little bit lucky on like the semen that you were picking? Did you have some guidance on, on how to decide on what bull you were breeding to that heifer? Man, I studied like crazy. Like it, it kind of consumed me while I was in Michigan with this whole deal and dealing with the, you know, personal life that I was dealing with. Like I would just study and study and study genetics. And I picked like those first five heifers, I picked heifers that I liked what they were doing, what the, that genetic line was doing. Um, I did it totally different than what most people do it. They'll mm-hmm. go to one guy and buy a whole set, and I didn't do that. I picked from different guys that I, you know, different genetic pools that I wanted. And then I picked a bull, which I thought was going to be good. Turned out to be absolutely terrible. Really? Yeah. And so that animal, like that bull calf that I had bought, didn't buck at all, but I had already bred him to these heifers knowing what I know now. It's like, what a terrible decision. Yeah. But out of that deal, like his calves bucked, he didn't buck, but his calves bucked. Oh, weird. So I just got very fortunate with that deal. And then the genetics part is just something that I, I love that part of it. And like, we don't really AI it's live breeding. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. I don't, I don't, we're very fortunate to have the breed bulls we have, you know, airtime was such a huge superstar. Like, there's a ton of his sons that are on the truck going now. Um, and then Magic Train and Bad Beagle and, you know, yeah. all these bulls that were very good bulls, but also very good producers, which I've been fortunate with. Yeah. So we live read everything. We sell a lot of straws, but I don't do any AI work at home. I'll be darned. So, so covering, Wade, covering yours, you, uh, I mean, a little different. You were basically were born into the rodeo world, right? The Western kind of way of life. Yeah, Is that right. Absolutely. Your dad's pretty, uh, pretty much legendary, right? In the in Ike Sankey. Is that right? Yep. Legendary in the rodeo world. So, when did your family, you know, get into the stock contracting business? Because was your was your dad rodeoing first, or how did that work? Yeah. So the whole family story is my granddad used to rodeo a little bit, and so that'd be Ike and Lyle's dad. So um, Ike and Lyle both went to the NFR. Um, I went four times, three times in the bareback riding, once in the bronc riding, and my uncle Lyle went in all three rough stock events, and uh, I believe he won the average at the NFR in the bull riding, maybe twice. But oh, wow. Anyway, like rodeo guys. Yeah. Um, the, the really funny part about how all of this got started is my uncle Lyle, who's older than Ike, Went to a horse show when he was a kid, and he won the horse show, and so that was the showmanship award, and what they gave him for that was a free entry fees to the junior rodeo. Mm -hmm. So they decided that, well, since Lyle's going, Ike's going to go too, 
we better start practicing. And they had horses and cattle around there in Kansas where they were. Yeah. So they decided they'd practice and run all this stuff in there. And they show up to the rodeo after practicing. They're kind of ribbing each other like, hey, look at these idiots. They got their shoot gates on backwards. And then they learned <laughs> that if you put your shoot gates on the other way, it's a lot easier on your knees. <laughs> yeah. So that's how the Sankey family rodeo tradition got started right there. And then really, um, they just started putting on some rodeos, contracting around there in Kansas with the practice livestock that they had. And then Ike took the deal to Wyoming when he married my mother, who's from Cody. Mm-hmm. And then he put on the night rodeo there for a while and got his PRCA card and just kept growing it and growing it and, and breeding buck and horses. He was kind of the first guy that had ever been a contestant and a contractor and, and been successful at both. So he took the contestant mindset and put it into raising buck and horses. Mm-hmm. And that really springboarded the buck and horse industry. I'll be darned. So he was breeding, uh, he was breeding the buck and horses and supplying, taking them to the rodeos and doing that. And then also still riding it at the same time. Well, I think he retired when he was like 24 or 26. Okay. Um, he went to the NFR when he was 17. No which shit. Is a record that'll never be broken because you have to be 18 to buy a card now. Damn. So he he did everything pretty young and got started in the business end of things pretty early. And he kind of achieved what he wanted to as a contestant. And then he's really motivated to get to the point that he wants to get to. He's not a goal setter. He's just got it in his mind. Yeah. And when he got to that point in the rodeo industry as a stock contractor, um, he pretty much just stepped away and sure. we bought him out and here you go. And yeah, you know, I'm just trying not to screw it up. So is, is, is he here this weekend for this rodeo? No, we've got two rodeos this weekend okay. here in Bozeman. Okay. And so he's in Bozeman. This so last year he was here and what was, what was cool was seeing him still right up on the shoot gate, uh, you know, helping guys get tied in and doing everything that they're doing and, and, and just like as involved and as intense as anybody could be, even at his age, still just like cranking away doing it. Like, yeah. He, he loves it. I mean, he loves rodeo, always has, always will. Um, he's glad to be stepped away from the day-to-day operation and all the stresses. Now he kind of gets to do the fun stuff that he likes to do. Yeah, that's how it should be when you get to get to his age and just kind of watch watch you guys deal with all the headaches. <laughs> but, uh, well, that's – so did you, did you rodeo yourself as well, grow up riding? Yeah, I rodeoed in college. I rode bareback horses and saddle broncs, so I've got a little bit of that experience to go along with it. Down in Wyoming? Um, did yeah, you grow up down there? Yeah, I grew up in Wyoming and then... And rodeoed everywhere? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How big of an area do you guys kind of cover as far as supplying stock to? Well, as far south as we went this year is Fort Worth, Texas. As far west is Clovis, California. And then as far east would probably be something on your end. Yeah, I mean, typically it's going to be, I mean, the Minnesota, Wisconsin area, and and we, I have been a lot farther east. I mean, I've hauling bulls. We've been to New Hampshire to, mm-hmm. you know, all the way the other side of the states. I mean, it, it wherever, we'll right. go wherever. Yeah, it's whatever am- makes sense. It's amazing. It always amazes me whether it's a, you know the contestants or, or you guys just the the schedule, you know, the pace that everybody has to keep up. It's unbelievable, you know, and then to be able to recover, you know, their bodies recover, but also the animals recover and have, you know, the, the animals have a 
probably pretty good because you guys, there's more animals. You can give them a, a little bit of a rest, but the contestants, they only have a short window to make the money they need to to qualify. So it's yeah. they don't get that that opportunity to take a day off. No, they're going hard. Those yeah, they're they're they abuse themselves not not only just in the whatever discipline they're in, but it's more so just the travel. Yeah, like overnight and from you know one part of the country to the next because. I got to be there by noon. I just got done tonight. And we have a noon perf tomorrow, but it's, you know, yeah, fourteen hours away. Now, how does the how does it work with the horses? Are you guys are you guys AIing or are you guys, you know, using studs and doing all that or? Yeah. So, um, just anytime you're trying to raise any sort of animal athlete, you breed the best to the best and hope for the best. It'd be nice to get a crystal ball. Um, we've been super fortunate. You know, our genetics go back to a horse called Custer that Ike bought from Harry Vold, um, 70s, I believe. And we've been really lucky with that line of genetics. And then we're kind of in a transition now to where we've got stallions that we've raised and we've got mares that we've raised. And we're trying to find the next step of producers, the next superstars. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going through all that. But it's all live cover um, you know, like this year we, we got 18 colts and we're not as deep genetically as the bull deal mm-hmm. because the turnover is slower. Okay. By the time you know what the producing stallion is, he's 10 or 12 years old because horses mature slower okay. and you don't get to find out what they are till they're six or seven or sometimes eight years old. Really? Whereas bulls is three or four year olds. You know what they are. So I wanted to ask about that with with kind of on both ends of it here, but we'll start since we're with horses. Um, how do you train? A, and I, I know, and I'm not I'm not a rodeo guy really. I mean, I enjoy watching, but I don't understand everything there is to know about it. So, how do you train a horse to buck to just flat out get after it? You breed them to buck, and then you allow them to buck. For thousands of years, people have been keeping horses from bucking. So they can use them for work. Mm-hmm. In the last hundred years, we've been trying to put that buck back into horses. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can do that is genetically. We know how to keep one from bucking. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have to do. It's a lot harder to allow one to do what they naturally want to do than it is to make them buck. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way you can make one buck. If you could make a horse or a bull buck, we wouldn't be in business because right. anybody would be able to do this. Right. So it's... It's genetics, and we just got to make sure to manage them correctly and keep them healthy on the road and at home, and which is where most of the injuries happen. Everybody thinks that we're torturing stuff. We're not. The, you know, the flank promotes kicking, but it's absolutely safe. And if a flank or anything else we did hurt them, they wouldn't do that because that's well, how animals operate. Since you're talking about it, because I was going to get into it, and we'll go back to the, I want to hear more about the breeding and the or the training. But, uh, you know, my, my daughter this morning, we were walking out to get her steer for her to put that steer back in the barn, and she was like, I told her you guys were coming out, and I, I was headed out of there, and she was like, she's like, Dad, there was people hanging signs around the rodeo grounds, you know, don't abuse animals, shut rodeo down, all the bullshit that you hear, you know, of these environments. Like, they're hurting animals, and you know, they're breaking their legs and all this shit. Right. And, you know, there's might as well, instead of ignoring it, actually address it. I think it's actually the best way to go about a lot of this stuff. Um, 
you know, I, I, I remember, uh, you know, I grew up in the excavation business and quite frankly, there was a couple rodeos over the years growing up where a horse got hurt or a bull got hurt at the rodeo. And we, you know, they brought, brought a vet in, they put that animal down and we, we had to bury it usually actually out on the rodeo grounds. Cause out there it's kind of the middle of nowhere, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, athletes get hurt, animals get hurt. Um, but by and large, these animals live a life that, you know, I would actually argue there's a lot more quote unquote abuse of animals that stand in somebody's backyard or pasture for 20 years straight with their hooves having not been trimmed in a decade Mm -hmm. and not, not getting their teeth floated and not getting fed the right grain and the right hay or not having, you know, shelter or whatever it is. Um, and, and these animals, you know, let's face it, these animals mean money to you guys as far as paying your house payments and building your business. So you guys are going to do everything you can to take the best care possible. I mean, they are professional athletes. If you think about, you know, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or whoever, like the training they go through, the recovery, the stuff that they do to make sure that those guys can get back out on the field. The team, which would be you guys, is taking care of that athlete as good as possible to make sure they can start on Sunday. Um, what kind of things do you guys do with your animals? You know, cause there is a lot of travel. There's a lot of stuff on the road, a lot of time on the road and I'm sure they get dinged up banging into gates or whatever. What do you guys do to take care of, of these horses and bulls? Well, um, I'm going to indirectly answer your question. Yeah. So um, 99% of the injuries that we have happen to animals at home. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, we own them from the time they're born until the time that they not die naturally. Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole lifespan of jacking around and being children. And I mean, they're going to, they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to get hurt. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, as far as, is the care that goes into them? Um, yeah, we got to keep them healthy for our business, but we also got to keep them healthy because they're ours and, yeah. and yeah. they're, I mean, it's our responsibility to take care of them. Um, we've got a horse now. He's the reigning world champion saddle bronc named Black Tie. He had one of the very few injuries that happens in the arena over the last, I can't remember how many years that it's been that we actually hurt one in the arena. Mm-hmm. And what happened was a stifle injury, which is basically like a knee injury. And so we had some cartilage and ligament damage in there. And he he was... He was sound enough to be okay. We could have kicked him out. He was 10 years old, and he, he was always going to hurt him, and we didn't think we'd probably ever buck him again. Mm-hmm. We took him to a vet, did a knee surgery on him, and that's the first knee surgery that anybody's ever done in rodeo that we know of, and we brought him back, and we bucked him just to see how it would work out. We really had no intentions of ever seeing that horse perform again. Yeah. Well, we did it just because he was totally sound and everything was fine. And then it, it turns out that he comes back bigger and better than he's ever been until this day he's getting better. Yep. Um, he's in the talk for Bucking Horse of the Year again this year. But um, it's just, you know, performance is one thing. Quality of living is something something else, and that matters to us a lot. I mean, there yeah. are animals, and they're just like family. Yeah. Well, and I know you guys have, there's, um, you know, vets checking these animals. They're constantly being cared for, taken care of. Um, it's like I say, it's, it's interesting because 
you guys are you guys are closely looking over these animals daily where I can't tell you how many people I know that have animals like I say out in their pasture or whatever that are just not getting looked at whatsoever you know and to your point one of our really good friends here we actually just shot a film about her nobody knows about it uh, except for now people are going to know but we're going to be releasing this film uh, we're uh, Henry actually shot it here uh, it's a, we're calling it working people and we're making a film about different people than, and what they do, their occupations, their jobs. It's people might think it's a little weird. Cause like we're a knife company putting out this film and it's really not about a knife in any way, but it's about the people that carry our knives. And Angela, our vet is all, she does all large animal stuff. Um, and she travels around all over the place in her truck, going to ranches and farms. And, um, I mean, she's constantly going to people's and frankly, horses really are good about trying to figure out a way to hurt themselves. Uh, she's constantly going to places and, and we actually, Henry shot one on film where, uh, she came out and gave some vaccinations, just did a wealth wellness check. And I don't know, a couple hours later, you guys were driving along, right? Put it down. But I mean, to your point, that, that stuff happens at home in the pens, you know, all the time. But, yeah. uh, well, and, it, and it's a, I mean, it's a matter of opinion of, what you think is cruel to animals, what I think is cruel to animals is if you've got a dog that's locked up all the time, I mean, living in a house or and a horse, like you said, living in a box stall, you know, that's, that's not how God made these animals. Mm-hmm. And we try to keep them as natural as possible. I mean, we've got a big ranch in south central Montana that they grow up wild and free and they respect us and we respect them. They're not halter broke. They're not trained. They're not right. tortured. I mean, they're as, they're as close to natural horses as they can possibly be. And in my opinion, yeah. that's the best way to, to have an animal. Is well, real, like real similar to dogs. I mean, you see dogs, whether it's police working dogs that are bred for a thing, right? It's to bite people, right? Uh, you know, a Labrador retriever or a German, you know, wire hair. I mean, it's it doesn't matter what the animal is there's different animals for, that are bred for different things and they have instinct and it's it's really cool to watch those like when a bull comes out of a chute and he's bucking his ass off and the minute that rider hits the ground he stops i mean quite honestly it looks like those bulls and those horses a lot of times know it's a game just as much as the guy getting on them i mean oh, the yeah. minute that guy hits the ground a lot of times they spin around and stop and look at him like <laughs> try, try next again time, next buddy. time <laughs> is that all you got yeah watch this sometime this is a great example if if you got any horse sense or animal sense at all you can watch a bareback horse just the way the bareback event is it's really obvious about this like you see a bareback horse that does their job and then the rider gets off and you can see them pick their head up and prance around yeah you can tell that they love it yeah 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 it's uh it's it's pretty cool. The other thing I think people don't understand a lot of times, like like say bulls, for example, you know, you see you see a guy get bucked off, and these bulls come after a guy, right? And you, you know, but then a couple hours later, I'll see you walking through the pen, feeding hay, yeah. literally putting hands on them. There, the, you explained it really well. Like people have to understand that these animals have a job to do. All animals like to have a job. And animals will get excited to go and do their job. So, like it, a canine officer, or hunting dog, or whatever the case may be, they get excited to go do their job. These animals are the exact same. They get their adrenaline gets rolling. They get pumped up. They're there to perform. 
they go and do their job. When it's done, they're just big, most of them very docile animals. Now, I mean, it's, they're just like people. Some are easier to get along with than others. But right. for the most part, they're just like, they know what they're there for. They're there to do their job. And the rest of the time, it's like, man, I, I know this guy's not hurting me. If I was one, like, if I was doing something to hurt that animal, he wouldn't respect me at all and allow me to do the things I do with them. Mm-hmm. So it's like with the bull side of it and the training side, it's more to teach them. Like, we start our calves as weanlings. Like, as soon as they're weaned, I get them started on feed and stuff, and then I send them to Texas for the winter to a buddy's place because he's set up just to do weanling bucking bulls. Um, everything's smaller. Like, the shoots are smaller. The alleys are smaller. Everything's small for him. And plus, it gives them a head start because if we wait till Minnesota thaws out, we don't get to start our calves till April where we're starting them in January and, and getting them going. But it's really to teach them that nothing hurts them. Right. Like, this is what we do, but there's nothing that hurts you because as soon as – they have a bad experience, right. they're not going to do it anymore. Right. Because that's just how, how these animals learn. So that's really, like Wade said, it's genetically they're bred to do the job, but then it's our job to teach them that nothing hurts. Right. I remember you telling me that last year. You, you taught me quite a bit, Wade, uh, when we were at the rodeo here in Missoula. You were talking about just that thing, like you don't want to get them in the shoot and do anything to hurt them because then that's not a place they're ever going to want to be and they're not going to yeah. perform – uh, that's not that's not something you want to actually do. No, it's because it, they they remember that stuff. So if if I need to doctor something, the last place it's got to be like either either I have to do it or he's you know he's in a bad way. That's the only way I would ever give a shot or doctor something in a bucking shoot. Otherwise, that is their safe spot. Because as big and tough as the animals are, you poke them with a needle, give them a shot, and they some of them just really don't like it. Yeah. You know, so it's you got to remember, it's like always good experiences. When we doctor, we doctor in the squeeze chute at home. Yep. Like here, we it, a lot of the stuff you can find is it, through their feed or topical, and so then it's never a bad experience to them. Right. And, and you can doctor them that way. So it's knowing what you're dealing with, you know, as far as medically on them, and most of the time that is – like, no different than us if we go and do something and, you know, our knee swells up a little bit or whatever. Right. And so those are things that we pay attention to is how that animal's feeling because you never want to buck them if they're sore because they're, again, bad experience, don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, if he starts taking off bucking and his saddle's got a terrible wear mark or something on him, he's not going to buck as hard and he's not going to want to do it. Yeah, they just all bad experiences are, are is the way – like we said, we can keep one from bucking, and a lot of that is based on experiences for them. It's interesting you see, like, with horses and with bulls, the the ones that always amaze me the most are the ones that go in the chute, and they absolutely just stand there with no issues. They don't wiggle. They don't even try and smash a guy's leg. They just stand there basically looking like they're asleep. And if nothing shows you that it's more of a game than anything, if it was hurting them, they would be – They'd be going yeah. crazy in the shoot, right? They'd be squirming, doing whatever. The guy's pulling his rope, doing everything, sitting on his back. They slide up on that rope. Bull's still standing there, just dead calm. And then you you open that the minute that gate cracks, that bull just breaks in half. And it it always cracks me up. I'm like, that bull knows a hundred percent what the deal is. And usually that same bull, the minute that rider hits the ground, 
is just done. Like, yeah. And looks in the, and looks for the gate and trots off and goes through the gate. The other ones that I find uh, I always get a crack out of is, is when when they are leaning on that guy's leg or they're 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 doing everything in the gate they can be to just be a prick. Yeah. Because again, they know yep. exactly if I can get this guy out in a little out of position, you know, it's just it's just funny how they those animals are like playing mind games with the with the riders as much as the other way around. Oh, absolutely. And the mental side of the game for the animals is as important as the mental side for the riders. Like that is that is a hundred percent true. And a bull that we hauled and is one of our breed bulls airtime, like when we'd run him into the lead up alley, his adrenaline would get pumped so hard that his whole body would quiver. You want to talk about intimidate, that's intimidating and getting sit someone, on that. Yeah. Getting <laughs> someone's head, like the, a bull rider who'd never seen him. He's just, they vibrating. go to hang their rope and they're like, what the hell's wrong with him? Like, no, he's just ready. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you are. <laughs> and now you're shaking as well. Yeah, exactly. And it is intimidating. Ooh. I, yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I think, uh, well, it's funny cause, um, you know, my cousin talked about it when, back when he was high school rodeo and back when we were kids, he grew up in Wheatland and, uh, I don't know, you, Matt Robertson, um, he plays music. Really? Yeah. Small world. Yeah. Sings, sings yeah. cowboy music and stuff. Great songs that he's wrote. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, him and his cousin, or him and his brother Jake grew up in Wheatland, and uh, that's my mom's uh, brother's kids. But um, I remember going down and riding around with them to a few high school rodeos, and they were pretty good little riders back then. But uh, I always asked him about coming up and rodeoing up in Montana. I remember this is when they were younger, but they were like, uh, there's some, there's some, there's some really rough stock up there. Like we're, we're going to be down here. Cause you know, they, they had just heard stories of some of these horses up there that, that people had gotten on that were just big, strong rank horses, you know, and it's really impressive to watch an animal turn out like a horse turn out. That's so big. And, and this is what I was telling Jess last night. It boggles my mind how athletic these animals are. Mm-hmm. The athleticism. Um, yeah. Like even with a couple of those bulls last night, guy gets off in those the back end of that bull still up there bouncing off his back feet. And he's like, it's, it's like Muhammad Ali floating. Yeah. Just that whole float, like a butterfly sting, like a bee, <laughs> like they're just floating on their feet and you can't tell they weigh 12, 15, 1800 pounds, yeah. you know, and the horses, um, the way those things go straight up in the air and then they're twisting in the air. Um, it just un- unbelievable, you know, the athleticism. There's a lot to that too. You know, it, it, it's bred into them. And what people have to understand is um, no different than a, a dairy cow is bred for milk production, a beef animal's bred for meat production. These animals are bred for athleticism. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so they're fed different, they're cared for different. They're, everything's different than a typical bovine. But like, unlike a typical bovine, these guys live a long life like airtime standing at home with some cows he's 14 years old that's old for a bull yeah and he's in great shape you know and and so he gets to live out his life and do whatever he wants basically just relax yeah but that's what he's earned now eat and breed it doesn't yeah. sound like a terrible life <laughs> he's got a pretty good day <laughs> and plus he never winters in minnesota i winter him in texas so he really he lives literally better than i do so yeah. it's yeah he just he has a perfect life but Okay, explain to me how we're being 
right bad to an animal right when they live like that yeah no it's well it's generally coming from people who are just batshit crazy in general yeah, it's so. just they don't know yeah and that's the big thing is i've talked to a lot of people that are animal activists especially when we're doing a lot of the pbrs and as long as they're willing to listen and to learn i can show them what it is but so many people are just so stuck in they've been misinformed but they believe it to be absolute gospel truth right well okay i can't i can't i'm not going to be able to explain anything to you because you don't want to listen. Well, there's there's actually uh, absolutely a place for animal activists in this world. I mean, you know, there's yeah. been plenty of times I've wanted to call, you know, animal control on people and be mm-hmm. like, this poor damn dog over here that's been chained up, you know, yeah. driven to work every day for two weeks straight and poor bastard starving to death. And yeah. there's snow on the ground. I don't see a set of human prints walking to that dog for the last three days, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, same with environmentalists, right? There's absolutely a place for, um, you know, environmentalists yeah. to make sure that people aren't, you know, doing shit to our environment, our water, whatever that's, you know, it's just the people that get over the top that, yeah. you know, gets out of control. It is. And it's, it, uh, sometimes it's just literally a lack of education. Yeah. Well, and no, nobody, you know, I always say nobody cares about um, animals more than, you know, ranchers, you know, uh, you know, obviously the, ro- you know, I kind of lump the rodeo people into the ranchers cause a lot of them are ranchers. Even a lot of the guys that ride have their own place yep. or whatever, but, um, you know, these guys, well, even on our video that we shot with Henry with that vet, I mean, um, the opening scenes are given mouth to mouth to a brand new calf that she pulled that, you know, she's trying to, trying to keep that thing alive. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that love their dogs and I'm not sure they'd give them mouth to mouth, you know, and you'll see ranchers doing that kind of stuff. You'll see them with a calf inside their house or, you know, bathtub. Yeah. (laughs) Colt in the, yeah. Um, they really truly are family members, you know, in the ranching community. And that really does extend into what you guys do as well. You know, what, what do you have a horse that's just been your favorite horse of all time? Oh, we've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's wasn't sure if you had one that you'd, you'd that you'd bred that just whether it was a personality trait or just the way that it bucked or yeah um, um I mean we've had so many good ones yeah over the last 40 years that it's it's hard to say one um, picking your favorite kid yeah I mean, <laughs> right now like black tie is I mean he's the best horse in the world so it's pretty hard not to pick him but um emotionally there is a, a mare here that is named Seduco, mm-hmm. and there is six offspring out of her that we're rodeoing with right now, two of which are Sozo and Bronc Riding Nation. They were both at the NFR this year. Um, there were 87 points on that mare last night. Um, there's actually a third generation, so there's grandma, mom, daughter at this rodeo. So that's pretty awesome to see the family genetics that all go back to that one mare. I've seen people literally get in tears because you guys will do it occasionally where you, you, you have a, you'll turn a mare out on a night. Maybe she's not bucking. You'll turn a mare out and her colt and, uh, run around out there. And it's, it's cool. You know, people like seeing those multiple generations going on. And like you say, to have three generations, literally all at one rodeo, all bucking is, is incredible. And it's also amazing that a lot of times these, uh, these mares are actually out there bucking while pregnant for quite a while. Yeah, um, we do it. We do it a little bit different than most people do. Yeah, um, we don't haul baby colts, 
because it's health issue on the baby colts, right. and, and we never have. So right. we wean them a little bit earlier than most people do, and mm-hmm. we rodeo with those mares, and once they get to a certain point in their gestation, we won't buck them anymore. They won't perform. So Yeah, and I assume that. I've heard, you know, that they turn out a horse that's that's pregnant, but it's early on, and obviously, and they'll be like, hey, this horse is about to be done. It's going to have a baby and kick them out, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and there again, like, obviously, you want to take care. You, you, you're never going to do anything. But, you know, you see women out there running and doing exactly, CrossFit yeah. until they're eight months pregnant. It's insane, you know. Um, you know, doesn't hurt baby at all. Um, it's just, uh, it's pretty cool. It's really cool even when you see women out there just yeah. getting after it, you know. Um, the how, how does the naming work? Uh, you know, because... I don't know if there's uh, any other industry that does naming better. I mean, would you say Bad Beagle earlier? Yeah. I mean, what a badass name, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, he's a very unique-looking animal. He's he's retired now, but uh, that animal actually we bought as a year, well, a two-year-old, and he just like his look is very distinct. Anyway, I posted it on on Facebook, like just like a naming contest, like name this calf. And, the, I mean, we get just a laundry list of names, and it, which is great. It, and it's fun to have the fans be involved in that process sometimes, too. Um, but, actually, a, a buddy of mine had put down Bad Beagle, and I was like, you know, he looks like a beagle. Like, he, his coloring, everything. And then, especially as you get to know this animal's personality, he's just devious, like, su- super gentle. He's a pet. But will wreck so much stuff on you. Really, like he's just he's wrecked more stuff at the, my place than all the rest of the bulls I've ever had combined. Really, he's just that destructive. Um, but he also gets <laughs> sometimes against my better judgment. Live out his life <laughs> at the farm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he has no job, but he costs me money all the time. But um, yeah, that and so that's how his name came about. A lot of times it has something to do genetically. Yeah, you know who their parents were. And then, like, we have a lot of people that partner on, on animals with us. And I always let the partner, if they're going to buy a calf and, and own a bull with us, you name it. Right. I'll have the last say because if it's really dumb, I'm not going to let you do it because I, I have to list it when I put it down, you know. Yeah. But, Back um, behind the shoots, you have to deal with everybody yeah, exactly. giving you shit about <laughs> why would you name that. Yeah. So, but otherwise, yeah, it's, it's just part of the fun of letting people have involvement in it. Yeah. Do you, do you still have bulls that go to the PBR or do you guys do, how, how does it work? Cause there's there, you know, there's pro rodeo mm-hmm. and then there's the PBR. Mm-hmm. Um, and I frankly don't all understand it. Cause there's like the NR, NRA is that the national uh, Northern rodeo association. So that's kind of like, would you call that somewhat minor leagues? Like trying to get up to PRCA, like guys trying to earn their card or how do, how do all the levels work for the Cowboys? Well, in rodeo, there's one main sanctioning body, and that's the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. That's the one that's associated with the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, they're totally separate from the PBR. Mm-hmm. The PBR has got more of a farm league built into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they have – you can – for the riders, they can start out – they have to earn their way to the Unleash a Beast Tour. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's just – it's a little bit different, you know – Bull-wise, um, some bulls work both places, some bulls don't. Um, it's just, it's different. The one thing about pro rodeo that I, I really like is it allows us to develop animals. 
where if you're going to just do PBR, there's no development. Yeah, you're they gotta be, superstars. Yeah, they got to be a bad cat to start with. And they stub their toe one day, and doesn't matter if you just spent 100000 buying that bull, he don't get to come back. Like, that's just the way it is. So it's different in that regard where pro rodeo, what it, it really benefits for me as a breeder is to develop those younger bulls. So, like, we buck our – like, there's three-year-olds. There was a three-year-old out last night that – that backwoods bow, the odd 11, little white spotted calf that really bucked had Garrett Smith on his back. And, like, man, we showed up to Sheridan this year for the first rodeo, and that was the first time he had somebody on his back. Really? Yeah, and, and but those, we go through them so hard and with teaching them the right things to do around, you know, in the back pens, loading, in the chutes, and bucking them with a dummy and everything else that, you know, you have to know who they are. Um, you don't just bring anything like that, but they have to show that they can handle everything. And then there's still, there's still a variable there. But well, I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty tough to emulate, uh, you know, thousand people and crowd noise and mute. I mean, you can play some loud music and stuff, but I mean, to, to open that up and have a whole giant crowd of people. I mean, I could see where you could scare an animal just into a little bit of a hesitation and oh, yeah. shock. Like what the hell's going on yeah. here? Yeah. I'll, you know, because they sense that stuff way better than we do. Yeah. Like yeah, that's 100%. all different to them. So it, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things and, and not everybody, not all of them are good at it. It's no different than, I mean, not everybody can make knives like you can, you know right. what I mean? They're, they're right. just, everybody's good at something. Sometimes a bull, even though they're bred to do it, it's just not their gig. I was going to ask you with horses and with bulls, do you guys, um, you know, much like a dog, right? You start out with a retrieve that's, that's, you know, from here to the end of the table and you start working further and further distances and you start adding complexities into it and all that stuff. Um, do you guys turn them out with the dummy and maybe kick that dummy off, pull a rope or something where that dummy falls off in a, in a second or two seconds and, and start to build them up with like wins? Yes. Yeah. Teach always having, you know, having that dummy come off, like for the calves, it's having that dummy come off at the time when they did something right. Okay. And so, but in, like you had said, you start off with real slow stuff as far as even to the point of just walking through the lead up alleys and stuff and never stopping. And you'll send them as like, we send them as groups of three going through there. So they understand and it's safe. They got their buddies with them. And then you start them by stopping them in the lead ups and maybe just spilling them into the arena and back out, you know? And, and so it's all this a process to teach them that there's, it's, it's safe. It's okay. And then with the dummy, that's a whole nother thing. And then the, the big deal, like in the bull industry, which is different, um, there's a ton of money to be made with these calves yep. cause they can go and like, I have bulls competing bulls and a heifer competing, uh, tomorrow in Minnesota at a maturity mm-hmm. and they can win a lot of money doing that. So, mm-hmm. As yearlings and two-year-olds, you can go and compete and win money with these bulls. And then as threes, they start having riders on their back. There's still some bull competitions. The problem with the three- and four-year-olds that you can compete with is it's hard to find bull riders to go with that stuff. Yeah. So that becomes a little bit more of an issue. So we typically, we go straight to rodeoing with them mm-hmm. and figuring out who they are and develop developing them the right way. Sure. Instead of taking them somewhere and no different than you put them first riders on their back those guys are coming off in one jump. Well, we're teaching that bull. He doesn't have to do much. Yeah. Like you got to push them to make them understand that they have to work harder. Yeah. Yeah. That so makes sense. it's, it's important in the development, but yeah, the, the two different associations really big in, in bull riding, there's pluses and minuses to both of them. Yeah. 
and we'll what, do another one. On the horse side, I've always wondered this. What is what is the difference or what makes a bareback horse versus a saddle bronc horse? Well, that's their decision. They'll tell us that at some point. We can tell a lot of that due to genetics. Um, if, they're, if their mother or their dad was a bareback horse, then we'll stick with that. Some horses would rather be broncs, and it just depends on the halter and the pressure from What's, the halter. Okay, so that's because I was wondering where is it the way they buck, or is it just what they what they like better on, basically mounted on them? Like what is it? Yeah, it's just it just depends on whether or not they like the rider having the rope tied to that halter and having pressure on that. Okay, or whether they don't. Some horses don't like that at all, and some horses it helps them. So they can push into it, and it helps them buck. And then other horses, they get pressure on their face, and they're like, "No, okay, not doing that." Yeah, because with with saddle bronc, then they've got that they've got that that uh, that rope, that bucking rope. Uh, is that what you call it? Bucking uh, rope, bronc rein. Bronc rein. Yeah, yeah, they've got that bronc rein really sucked up tight, and that that chin's pulled in on that horse, right? Yeah. yeah. And some horses do both too. We've sent horses the NFR in both events, and it they're the same either place. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a super cool. Um, I mean, obviously the bulls kind of for a lot of people. That's that's the that's like the uh, the thing that like a lot of people come to the rodeo for, and a lot of times they want to, you know, they just want to see a cowboy get chased or something like that, or they want to see the big wreck. But I think it's like with growing up having cousins riding riding broncs, um, and if you've ever ridden horses and had a horse not do exactly what you wanted to do. And we're talking about horses that generally stand around out in the field and are generally pretty gentle. Uh, the amount of power those animals have, um, it's just mind-boggling when I watch those guys. I, I even get really amazed by those pickup men. Yeah. Uh, you know, last night, Casey, uh, is it Verhelst? Yep. Verhelst. Um, I don't know the other guy. Uh, Jared Gill. Jared Gill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about Jared, but, I mean, Casey, you know, with the size of ranch and everything that he's got going, like, yeah, that's a real cowboy. You know, it's that guy's unbelievable with just how how hard that they have to work around around the clock, three hundred sixty five days a year on the ranch. But then they come out and do the pickup stuff, and that's a really important part because you're also entrusting your guys' animals to them to treat them uh, well and and get them out of the arena if a bull can't find an out gate or a horse or whatever. And Casey was telling me last year he had to rope one and kind of pull on one pretty hard, and he's like, "Man, I hate doing that." He's like, "It's hard on the bull." Stock contractors don't like it. He's like, it's hard on my horse, you know, but sometimes you got to, you know, try and just get a bull out of there. Um, Teach him a lesson too. Yeah. He'll leave better next time. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They understand like, hey, if I spend too much time out here, I really would prefer not to be roped. Yeah. And drug. Yeah. So if I just leave, it's way yeah. easier. Yeah. Yeah. So th- usually that doesn't. That's why you see old bulls hardly ever have to get roped because they're like, we know the drill. We don't want to deal with those guys, so we'll just leave on our own. Do you find some venues are just set up real poorly where the bulls have a hard time finding the gate? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, side out's always difficult. Where center out's, especially, like, the way we train bulls, like, even, like, our calves, our bucking shoots at home, like, our left-hand delivery shoot where we start everything – I cut it apart and made it so they actually don't even use the out gate. They turn around and come right back through the bucking chute back to the pen they started in. So it teaches them to stay close. Yeah. And, like, 
it was funny because the other night we had one that uh, was a double up four, one of them anyway, bucked his guy off and didn't realize the outgate was down there. He's standing there looking at the shoot gate, like looking at me on the back of the shoot, like <laughs> where it should be. Yeah, Let me in. Open the yeah. gate. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, you got to travel a little farther, bud. <laughs> it's, like, it's not here today. Is it the same with horses? Oh, not exactly. I mean, they're they're geared way different. They usually travel the arena more, so yeah. You see them take off for a lap or two, and yeah, yeah, and they they'll look anywhere. I mean, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it, you know, again, watching, you know, watching all these contestants, everybody in rodeo. You know, it's 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 amazing to me. Um, just the athleticism, the the you know the being able to recover from injury. And like I say, watching, just watching those pickup men, um, you know, roping those bulls or roping the horses or getting the guys off of a horse that's absolutely still bucking like crazy and, and doing it safely. Um, I watched Casey about lose his pinky finger the first night during the extreme bulls. Um, had to kind of bring a bull through and Missoula's isn't really set up real well with their, their situation there. He basically had a tiny hole shot. He had to get his horse through while he's dragging a 1500 pound bull. And uh, I saw him looking down at his hand, and I thought for sure he had lost his finger, but he just cut it wide open right across the top of it, you know, rope burned it or whatever. But, man, it's uh, it's an impressive um, thing to watch. And, and I think it's gaining popularity, too, because you see other professional sports softening up. Um, and, you know, you see so much, some of the bullshit activism you see and just athletes acting spoiled and this and that. And then you watch a guy get absolutely ragdolled on a bronc and, you know, limp, limp off the, the arena, you know, grounds and he's back at it tomorrow night. And, uh, it's, and there's so much honor in it. You see guys, uh, the thing that's really most impressive to me about the entire thing is with the competitors is, uh, what's the kid's name? This superstar at the NFR that rides, uh, Stets. Stets. Stetson, right. You see a guy like Stetson riding bulls. He's riding, you know, Bronx, um, best in the world by by a mile. And then you see all these other guys every time, even the top guy turning out, and you see every one of those guys just cheering like crazy for those guys. And you'll see guys all the time. They've got an 89-point ride. Guy turns out last ride of the night. He's about to win a big-ass check. I don't care what rodeo it is. And a guy turns out, and he's riding for 90, and you'll see the 89-point guy just beyond like out of his mind cheering for that guy and the guy hits the ground scores 90 the guy just lost to that guy but you know took took second to him and they're hugging him and you know it's just really cool that camaraderie it's rodeo is such a small world which is hard to explain unless you're in it but um an example after the rodeo last night everybody's got their campers on their pickups and everybody hangs out right there together and it's just such a small world and such a huge family Mm -hmm. that it's it's a very individual sport but nobody can do it by themselves. yeah and that's what really makes rodeo in my opinion the best sport in the world yeah no it's super cool is there anything that uh you guys want to talk about that maybe i missed or um any any cool stories do you guys uh do you have, uh, I don't know, do you have some of your favorite rides or something cool you've seen? How talking here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's some stories, but I don't know if you really want to do them on yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> you can say anything on here. You know, 
I just wasn't <laughs> sure if there was anything else you guys wanted to cover or any, um, you know. No, I mean, it. the big thing is, like, it's fun to see people, like, I think you said something that was pretty powerful before, is that how it's growing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just become where people are sick of the BS in the world. And the one thing about rodeo is it's not tolerated here. Yeah. It's just not like that. That stuff doesn't, isn't tolerated. And it's, it's still a sport that's about God and country. Yeah. And we won't apologize for it. We're not going to conform to what someone wants us to be. Right. That's just not who we are. So if you like that, buy a ticket and come to a rodeo because you're going to love it. If you don't, don't buy a ticket. Yeah. And, and that's the thing you're, you're never going to see, you know, somebody out there kneeling, kneeling for the flag during the anthem because, you know, they, you know, of some political belief or whatever, you know, it's just, uh, it's for every one of those guys, it never feels like it's about the contestant. It always feels like it's about the sport and frankly about the animal. You, you see guys come off all the time. They'll get absolutely just embarrassed by an animal and they come off and they'll tip their hat to that animal. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's, it's their fault it didn't go well. The animal did his job. And, in fact, you know, you see guys all the time where um, that's, that's how they want those animals to buck, and that's where the pressure's on you guys. Is I, I would imagine it's probably difficult for you guys to see one of your horses or one of your bulls come out and not perform for a guy. And he, he, gets, he gets a score, but it's not really what – you know that rider's better than that, that particular – maybe just had an off night, which athletes have. And that's got to be tough because that guy's – you know, he's paying an entry fee and traveling and coming to this rodeo and needing a chance, you know? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. That, that's, like, that is, for me personally, that's the single hardest thing that I do because my job is to provide a set of bulls that these guys all can win on no matter what they draw. And I had one fail last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I made a life decision. Right. That's the way it is. Right. That's part of this deal. The only thing I can, like, I apologize to Jared, but all I can tell him is you won't have to see him again. Right. Right. It's because my job is to maintain a certain level of animals and that they entrust me to do that. The contestants do. And if we want them entering our rodeos, we have, that's our job is to maintain that level. And the biggest thing is what we all, whether it's us, as far as stock contractors, the contestants, everybody, we're all there. We have to remember we're in the entertainment industry. Right. It is all based on what the people in the stands like. Mm -hmm. And if the stands don't fill up, none of us have a job. Mm -hmm. And so you you have to, we're there to put on a show. And so if I have a bull fail, I feel like I've let the fan down, the, the guy getting on down, like everybody's getting let down. And that's, I just take it personally. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's, I want them to have a good day. I, but it was funny because at the Extreme Bulls, I had a couple guys coming. Like, I'm always in their ear when they're getting on, you know, because I'm tying the flank, and I'm cheering them on. Right. I want them to ride. Right. I don't want to buck them off because, again, we're there to entertain the fans. A bunch of buck-offs is not entertainment. You want to see them ride. Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and one of the bull riders had said, he goes, man, you're always in our ear, like, cheering us on and because he had made the comment. He said, we came up here – we were entered in a circuit rodeo, but we came up here because we know we're, you're always going to have good bulls and you're always good to us. Right. And that, like, that means that's a huge compliment to me personally. Like, 
because it's like, that's what you try to do. You try mm-hmm. to be a good human being, yeah. but you know, and, and sometimes it's hard, yeah. but that's the right thing to do. And at the end of the day, man, we're all out there scrambling, trying to make a living. Yeah. And so help each other out. And that's an interesting one because you hear last night that the announcer said, this bull's never been ridden, right? You hear, you always hear that, you know, this bull's never been covered. And, uh, and you know, that's an interesting one because, like, you think from a stock contractor perspective, I'd be like, well, that's 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 good because he's bucking hard and that's what you want to hear. But also, in like, to your perspective, you, you would rather be like, this bull's been ridden 10 times this year, and every time he's been over 90. Yeah. Right? That would probably Absolutely. be better than never ridden. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a that's an interesting thing. You, you and you guys are kind of teaming up with the, you know, with the bull rider of, like, you want the best animal, but you also want the best rider to be able to cover that thing and get a big score. Yeah. I'll always be the first one to congratulate him when they when the bull has their day and the cowboy has his day. Man, that's, that's fun. Like, that is – that's why we do it. Yeah. You know, it's not to – I want my bull to, like I told them guys last night, I said, man, my goal is just is to have really good bulls that are going to test you, but not that are unrideable. Right. Like, that's not at all what we want. But right. we just want you to be on your A game. You know, you can come and win on any of them. Yeah. That's the goal. How, how do, uh, how do, how does the drawing work? How do you guys actually, you know, how does it get deemed who gets to ride what? Well, the PRCA has a, has a, central entry office which is called procom and so they're supposed to draw everything via computer program and then they send it back to us so they've got four to five days typically to know which animal they've drawn and then whether they want to come compete or not do you guys uh provide um any film any video anything like that where a guy's like maybe he's from texas he hasn't you know rode in your stock like can yeah. he go back and find some data yeah so we're stock contractors we're basically just a bunch of dumb cowboys but we're having to learn <laughs> how to do all of this stuff yeah and so we can provide that that's a huge thing that didn't exist 10 years ago in rodeo was if we showed up with a new animal then they had to go strictly off of our word which we got a pretty good reputation but it really helps those contestants to see what they're getting into before they spend $1,500 on a plane ticket to come get on an animal that they don't know. Okay. So it's really helped the rodeo business. So they it have a little them. bit of time to decide, like, ah, I'm not sure, you know, I, I can't ride that bull, or, or you know, maybe that bull or that horse isn't quite as good as yeah. maybe the one I drew in Wyoming. Exactly, so. yeah. Especially in the summertime like this, there's a lot of rodeos going on right now, and so they'll be doubled up. They have to make a decision what rodeo they're going to go to, which is based on added money, both prize money, routing, their stock draw, um, lots of Yeah, and I, I didn't know that because that puts some pressure on you guys then because you are really truly competing against the other stock contractors. To You, you, want, you want guys feeling like, hey, I got a best chance to win on Sankey's stuff, um, you know, which also helps the rodeo, which then helps you guys get more rodeos that want you to bring your – your stock there and it's just it's like this big cycle i guess i didn't know that that's kind of how that worked i figured they just showed up maybe got told that morning or something like that yeah it's i mean we're really not competing with other stock contractors that's a pretty tough deal to get into Mm -hmm. um but you know what we're doing is we're we're employees we're working for whoever hires us and so we're trying to provide the best product that we can 
for those fans and those sponsors at those rodeos. So yeah, and it's a, it's a bad way of putting it because even if you talk about like us with our knife company, I, I always say that I'm never really trying to directly compete with the other knife companies. There's a lot of great companies out there. We're just trying to obviously like build what we think is best and do it the best way we know how to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, you can get yourself consumed in what everyone else is doing and actually throw your own throw your own game off. We're way better off listening to what people say on Instagram or on our email, you know, customer service and actually reacting to our own customers versus reacting to what we're seeing yeah. somewhere else. Which you know? don't get me totally wrong. That's we like competition and we yeah. think we're better than a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to do our deal. Well, the fact of the matter is when you see, and it's really what you want people, especially rodeo fans that are a little bit more in it than just your casual fair goer. Um, if they see that there's a rodeo in wherever and they look at it and they're like, oh, it's Sankey stock. Like, oh, this rodeo's like that immediately provides some credibility for that rodeo that like, oh, this rodeo's going to be pretty legit. Like they're, they're bringing in, bringing in the right, you know, the big dogs for this yep. thing, you know, so. Because, um, I mean, I've been, you know, Franklin, I won't name the rodeos because they're trying their best, but you you do. You go to some of these rodeos and it's like, man, it is not good. And generally, um, the you see about the same amount of rides because it usually kind of attracts the same kind of riders, you know, the guys that, um, you know, they, they think maybe they can ride one of those. They definitely probably can't ride one of yours. So it's, you you kind of get a rodeo that has that feel that's everybody's trying, but it's not, right. it's definitely not at the highest level. The hard thing with that is if, um, and, and don't get me wrong, there is an absolute place for that stuff mm-hmm. and for people to learn, people to get better, all these things. But if a first time rodeo fan or first time fan goes to, one of those, it's a little hard to get them to come see what a bigger show looks like. Yeah. So that's that's the only thing that I would caution people. Like, if you're only going to go to one, go to one that's badass. Right. It's going to make a difference to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How many rodeos in a year do you guys end up going to generally? I mean, about. Well, with all the sub jobs we have here and there and everything included, about 25, 26. Yeah. And then the rest of the year, you're feeding and breeding. and Yeah, we're ranchers. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And you said you live out in Wisconsin? Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota. Yep. So for six months out of the year, we're just froze up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming out. I know you got a fair meeting to get to this afternoon, and or not fair, but rodeo meeting about the about the event. So it's uh it's cool watching i appreciate you guys you know you guys were kind enough to bring us um you know behind the shoots last year and and kind of see what's what's everything being done i learned a ton and i've been around quite a few rodeos but never really in that in that sense and especially not really from the stock contractor perspective you know just from a fan perspective watching so so, so can we plug our youtube channel on here 100 percent. Yeah, i just did thank you <laughs> thank you pro rodeo yeah. Um, and what we're trying to do is share who we are and what we do and who these animals are and the lives they live on on that YouTube channel. So and all other social media too. Yeah. Thank you, Pro Rodeo, Phenom Genetics. And we're trying to build a fan base, not just for us, but for the rodeo industry and the bucking horses and the bulls. You know, it's it's a huge part of rodeo that just like you said, there's as as involved as you've been in rodeo, people don't get to see what we do. Yeah. And that's, you know, really from like, it's just, it's really similar. We have, um, 
I think some similar type of issues in the hunting space where people don't understand it. They don't understand in the hunting space the benefits of hunting and how it's decided what is hunted and how many animals can be taken and what could that do for the ecosystem in that area. And it's actually really tightly managed and a lot of times in a lot of places extremely necessary. But the the point is, is a lot of it's just misunderstanding yeah. and not being informed. And it's really the point of a lot of hunting videos that are out there is to educate. It's actually really one of the most important things we do. In fact, we've been taking some people hunting in the last couple of years. We did a film last year with a gal that was a WWE yeah. wrestler, right? And people might be like, why are you taking that person hunting? Well, she has a couple million followers across her platforms, of which you could probably guess that almost none are hunters. Well, if we can kind of somewhat not even really convert them, but just help them understand a little better to maybe when they go to the ballot box or maybe when they're talking to their friends or whatever, they have a little more understanding where they're like, hey, actually, it's not as cruel as I thought. This is why they do it. Maybe I'm not going to hunt, but like I can understand it. Mm -hmm. right? And maybe even for rodeo. Some of these people are never maybe going to go to a rodeo and be a fan and wear boots. But if they understand like, oh, they're not abusing the animals, that's that's, you know, they're taking actually really good care of them. And I, I understand this. Uh, that is a huge win. Yeah, not to mention huge. trying to get those people to the rodeo and bring their friends, you know. We're okay if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. But just understand what the facts are. Right, right. No, and, and I think it's extremely smart to to come from your guys' perspective because you guys are actually the ones entrusted with the care of the animals. The cowboys, uh, I think, also have a really interesting video that can be made about the busyness of their life and the, the dealing with, you know, the ups and downs and of, of all that, that's a, that's a whole series in its own. And, and that's been done and will keep being done. But from the stock contractor perspective, especially as much as people are animal lovers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, seeing a, you know, little baby bull being born all the way through, um, you know, or, or a horse, a mare, it's, it's really cool what you guys do. And I'm glad you guys are, pushing more into that because the marketing thing's weird people a lot of times are like you know why are you bringing the cameraman here even last night we had henry come to the fair and shoot some video of the kids doing their stuff and people might think like awesome. oh, josh and his ego bringing a cameraman here yeah. it, actually it's we want to show people why you should come to a 4-h auction like teach people out there like hey if you live somewhere and you know you need some beef for the year or some yeah. pork or cheap whatever Go buy it at a 4-H auction if you can and support yeah. some kids. And, and when you actually can show what's going on behind those scenes, it then all helps educate maybe what a rancher's doing and how they're raising their animals and mm -hmm. how well they're taken care of, you know. And this is the first time in history we've ever had the medium of social media yep. to reach those people and allow yep. them to see what we do and share our life. So, Yeah, a, in the 90s awesome. when I started making knives, you, you know, you had to score a magazine article somehow or yeah. buy an ad somewhere. Um, but now we have the benefit to be able to take a quick photo or a little video behind the buck and shoe and post it to thousands of people. Um, and people I think would love daily following stories and posts and stuff. What's going that, on, what's going on in that behind the scenes. And I think we're better off sharing more of it than, than trying to close off and, and like, hide from like oh don't think about us over here in fact yeah. it's like no here's what we are and here's what we're doing yeah you know and you said something earlier too that's really interesting is people can connect with an animal way easier than a human yep 
because that animal's never going to say something stupid, never going to do something stupid. Right. So, like, in anything, like TV or all that stuff, in order for people to buy a ticket or watch a show or whatever, they got to connect with something within that show. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're trying to build the animal side of it so people can connect with those animals and, and see them up close and see what they how they really live and and because it's just going to build a much stronger fan base. Yeah. No, and that's a really good point. And, and especially if you can start showing some of those animals that have really quite the personality, people fall in love. Oh in love with that stuff, yeah. you know, and, and of course, the way you guys name them, they're easy to remember, <laughs> yeah. you know, who doesn't want to follow Bad Beagle or Airtime, you know, uh, it's, yeah, Joe Rogan's damn dog has more followers than most people, you, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, more than rodeo in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, yeah. thanks, guys. Yeah, check out that you, YouTube and Instagram again. What were they? Uh, it's Sankey Pro Rodeo. Okay. Yeah, and Phenom Genetics on Instagram and okay. Facebook, too. So. Awesome. Well, thanks, fellas. Yeah, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. We appreciate everything that you're doing and being part of the rodeo there, too. That that all means something to all of us, and so we, we appreciate that. We can all work together to build what it is. Well, rodeo are our kind of people, and we want to be a lot more involved down the road here, so we'll, we'll build towards that. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you.